Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Hebrews chapter number 10. There's uh, 13 chapters in Hebrews and we are making our way uh, through them. Uh, chapter by chapter the last number of weeks, last uh, 10 weeks or so. And so today we are in Hebrews chapter 10. In your bulletin on the inside, there is an outline that you can uh, reference and uh, we'll go through. Um, You can also follow along in the Bible app. If you have the Bible app, go to events and uh, search First Christian Church, downtown Roseburg, and you'll be able to find the notes there as well. Um, How many of you ever heard of a lazy river? You guys ever heard of a lazy river? Uh, before COVID, Libby and I were on vacation in February, which, can I just tell you, feels like a long time ago. Uh, we were in Mexico, in Puerto Vallarta, for some vacation time, and the place we were staying uh, had all the accommodations you would need. You'd never really need to leave the kind of the area we were in, and uh, one of the features they had is a lazy river, and the lazy river would literally just take you around the resort, Now, for those of you who don't know what a lazy river is, it's exactly what it sounds like. You get to be lazy while on a river. And so they give you these huge inner tubes, and you sit in these inner tubes, and the current is just gentle enough for you to sit there, and you just pleasantly go down the river. There's no waves. There's no uh, commotion. It's not too fast. In fact, if you wanted to, and I can't say I did or did not do this, if you wanted to, you could just fall asleep while riding this little river, because it takes no effort whatsoever. The current is doing all the work for you, and so there's work that you have to do. You just lay there, you just drift. One of the early warnings, the very, in fact, the very first warning in the book of Hebrews is found in chapter 2 in verse 1, and it's this verse that simply says this, We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You see, by way of review, this uh, letter was written to Hebrew Christian Jewish, Jewish Christians. They were persecuted. They were torn between their new faith in Jesus and what they had always been accustomed to. The old way of living for them involved this covenant that God himself gave to Moses. And Moses received that covenant and and then gave it to the people of Israel. And so for generations and for hundreds of years, the children of Israel followed this old covenant. And it was really simple. Here's the list of rules and just follow them. And as simple as that was, it was hard for them to do because the law actually reveals our brokenness. It it is this standard that is so high that we could never measure up to it. And the law reveals our brokenness and our need for a Savior. That's why in the New Testament, when Christ was accused of destroying the law, He said, I didn't come to destroy the law at all. In fact, I came to fulfill it. In other words, this standard that was so high, that was impossible for you and I to ever meet on a normal day, Jesus was able to fulfill that law through his life. That standard 
was so high, Jesus was able to meet it. So this old way of covenant, this old way of living was this covenant that was limited and temporary, and God knew there would be a need for a new covenant, and we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, the law is only a shadow. Everyone say the word shadow. Shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The second half of that verse says this, boy, because this is only a shadow, this law can never make you perfect before God. It can never take your brokenness, your sin, everything that causes you to fall short of the glory of God. The law can never actually make you perfect in good standing with God. It is simply a copy and a shadow of what was to come, or may I act more accurately say, who was to come. The law was a shadow of what Jesus would bring in the New Testament. The beginning, the beginning of Hebrews for about nine or ten verses helps us understand what Jesus did on the cross was completely different than what the priest did in the Old Testament under the law. And he comes to this understanding and he's writing to this uh, group of persecuted Christians saying that only Jesus has the power to redeem us and to change our hearts and our lives. We now as followers, we don't live under the expectation of the Ten Commandments or the 614 laws of the Jewish law. We now live in the freedom that we have in Christ. So we come to verse 11, and this is what the writer says. Look at verse 11 with us. It says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, let's pause right there. What sacrifice is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's saying in verse 12, when this priest, God, had offered for all time one sacrifice, Jesus for sins, verse 12, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Every priest goes to the work uh, at the altar each day, the writer of Hebrews says, and each day he offers the same sacrifices for the children of Israel. And every day he offers these sacrifices which can never make anyone holy. And yet when Christ went on the cross, this was the one sacrifice that would actually be once for all. After that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God because, of course, the work was finished. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people, you and I. So this is a truth that is so life-giving that we cannot fall into the temptation of minimizing what Jesus did on the cross. So he says in Hebrews 2 and throughout really the book of Hebrews, we must be careful to what we have heard, what we have learned, so that we do not drift away. So what, is it like to, what does it look like for us to drift away? Well, there are some myths you will adopt when you drift away. I want to read about four of these myths to you. I think they're in your notes. If not, you can follow along. Some myths that you'll adopt when you drift away, and then we're going to discuss how to destroy normal. Uh, some myths you will adopt when drifting away. Number one, I can live the Christian life successfully in my own strength. 
This is a myth that will start to enter your life the further away you drift from Christ. You'll begin to think that you can live the Christian life successfully in your own strength. Here's another myth. Following Jesus can be a part of my life, but it does not have to be all of my life. You say, Daniel, I'd never say that. I know I said it for you, so you wouldn't have to. Um, What this looks like is Sunday mornings are for God, but the rest of the week I can do on my own. You see how that works? Um, So following Jesus can be a part of my life, but it doesn't have to be all of my life. What about this one? Thirdly, what happens in my life and my faith is between God and I and no one else. That's a difficult one, isn't it? That's a myth that we'll unpack here in a few moments. And then I would say the fourth myth, there's many more I'm sure, but we'll talk about this morning is this, that the priority of the Christian life is to be on church on Sunday morning. Uh, it's funny how we react, right? When we find someone uh, who, uh, we find out that someone is a Christian, okay? What's one of the first things that you'll probably ask if they live in town? Oh, you're a Christian? Well, what church do you go to? And we have fooled ourselves into thinking that the priority of the Christian life is where you attend church or church attendance in general. Not one of these ideas are biblical in and of themselves, but they have become normal. And so this is what we tackle in the remainder of chapter 10. And whether this happens to be in the first century to Hebrew Jewish Christians that are persecuted, or whether it happens to be us in Douglas County in 2020, or wherever you might be watching from this morning online, the challenge is this, how do we blow up the myths that come along with being drifting away? Because today is the opportunity to destroy these uh, normal expectations because God has greater in store for us. Jesus did not give his life for us so we could simply drift away on a lazy river with no effort whatsoever. Jesus did not resurrect from the dead for you to live a life that's just normal. He did not send his Holy Spirit into your life so that you could live a self-centered life that's powerless. He didn't save you so we can reduce everything to just normal. He has greater in store for you. Let's look at what he says in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, can you tell he's setting them up for something? He's saying, therefore, because this is true, and since, uh, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place, since Jesus has made a way and he is our great high priest, he's making the case for quite some time, actually, for the, the last nine and a half chapters, that Jesus is greater. He began in, Jesus, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 1 and said, Jesus is greater because he is God. He wasn't created. He existed before the world began. Jesus is God, and he's greater. He's greater than the angels. I know how how important angels were to you, the Hebrew writer explains. But he says, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than our own doubts. He's greater than our own unbelief. He's greater than our suffering. He's so great, in fact, that Abraham and Moses and even the great Melchizedek don't hold a candle to how great Jesus is. 
he's greater. He's a great high priest. And so in the Old Testament, um, you would have to go every year to the priest and offer a sacrifice every single year in order to get your sins forgiven. And as soon as you walked out, you'd have to prepare your heart for the next year to offer a sacrifice. But Jesus is greater. We have no need for that priest because he is our high priest. And he died once and for all. He's greater. He's greater than our own shortcomings. He's provided us a greater perspective. And because he's greater, you can trust him. You remember how much time and effort it took in the Old Testament to have access to God? Weekly sacrifices. Yearly sacrifices. If you didn't live in and around Jerusalem, there was a yearly trek multiple times a year for the different festivals. And yet today, you and me, we have confidence to enter the most holy place because of his blood. And so the writer of Hebrews shares with his audience all of these things that we now have in Jesus. And then he comes to verse 22. Because of all these things, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, that we profess. For who he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So, how do we avoid drifting away and how do we embrace greater? How do we get rid of normal in favor of greater? How do we avoid drifting away? There's four commands given in the verses we just read. First of all, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Look at verse 22 again. He says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. There are two components here in drawing near. And he says, I want you to draw near with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. A sincere heart, a heart that is pure, the heart, uh, heart that is sincerely open to what God would have us to do. And then also a heart full of faith. This is the type of assurance of full faith that he's talking about. What happens when we drift away and when we go back to whatever is normal, whatever is less than greater, we default into a way of thinking that we can actually handle the Christian life on our own and that we can walk through the life on our own. In fact, in every other context of life, we admire this self-reliance. We admire this can-do attitude that if you put your mind to it, you can do it. We love and admire this in every other part of our life because it's the American way after all. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. And we love the story of someone getting things done on their own. But when we take that, type, that same type of self-reliance and then we apply it to our faith, what ends up happening it is, is edges out a sincere heart. It edges out the heart full of faith. And before you know it, you have a faith without the presence and power of God. And before you know it, you're drifting away. And you settle for less than greater. 
So, first of all, he says, let us draw near with sincere hearts, with the full assurance that faith brings. Number two, he says, let us hold unswervingly to our hope. To our hope, verse 23 says it this way, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So this idea of hope is one of the central themes of the book of Hebrews, and this is the way we've divined hope. Hope is the confident expectation of Jesus' daily presence and his future faithfulness. So you say, what do you mean mean when you say that you have hope in Jesus? What that means is, I have hope that he is with me today, that that I have his daily presence, but I also have hope that he will remain faithful to me in the future. It's his daily presence, his future faithfulness, and this is the kind of hope that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So, uh, if I could be honest with you this morning, which I hope I can be, I'm a pastor after all, kind of comes with the territory. Um, I've, had, I've had trouble recently with this hope. I've had trouble embracing what this hope looks like in my life. I've been guilty of looking at hope merely as a result instead of a person. For instance, in my life, in the last few months or so, I have said to myself, I, I have hope that Jesus can, and then fill in the blank, right? And what I have noticed in my life is that I am treating God as this spiritual genie in a lamp. And whether it's whether it's financial or whether it's health-related or whether it's, uh, it's related to the pandemic and, and what our church is going through and maybe what some of our families are going through, uh, whether it's our country and the state our country is in a few weeks before the election, I have found myself putting a comma where there should be a period. And what I mean by that is that this, I've been saying to myself, I have hope that... And I've filled it in with a selfish desire or a selfish motive on my part. You see, normal takes Jesus and it turns him into a cosmic Santa Claus. Yet greater embraces Jesus as your hope, period. So what would it look like for you to put your trust in Jesus, period? What would it look like for us to wrap our minds around that hope is not in a result of a certain set of circumstances, but hope is putting our faith and trust in a person, Jesus Christ. You see, the writer of Hebrews is asking us to shatter what normal looks like. He wants us to draw near. He wants us to hold unswervingly to the hope, the hope that is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Here's our assurance Look at the rest of the verse in verse 23. For he who promised is, what's that next word? He's faithful. He's faithful. You wonder why in the Old Testament they always introduce God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? One of the reasons that's so important in the Old Testament is that every time they introduced him that way, it was a reminder that God kept his promises to Abraham. He kept his promises to Isaac. He kept his promises to Jacob. And he will keep his promises for you. He is faithful. 
We sang the song last week, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All of I needed thy hand has provided, great is your faithfulness, Lord, to me. Hebrews 6 says it this way, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So let us draw near, let us hold unswervingly to our hope. Number three, let us encourage one another. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. I love this. In order for us to embrace greater, to get rid of normal, we need to encourage people towards two destinations, love and good deeds. This is a fascinating verse. We need to be so connected that we are encouraging one another. We need people in our lives that encourage us toward love and good deeds. We need an environment that fosters this type of activity toward love and toward good deeds. Every interaction I have with people should encourage them to two destinations, towards love and towards good deeds. Because here's the thing, we have enough voices in our life that tell us to get revenge. We have enough voices in our life that tell us to block this person out. We have enough voices in our life to stay bitter and to, uh, to not forgive. And so the role of the Christ follower, the role we have with every interaction is this, to point people towards love and to good deeds. What would it look like in your life where every interaction with your employee, you just pointed them to love and to good deeds? What would it look like if, if your interactions in your home with your spouse or with your children pointed people to love or to good deeds? He has greater in store for you. He has greater in mind for you and your family. I was thinking about this verse, and I was thinking about my own life. Um, and if you were to poll me at different times in my life, uh, five years ago, and 10 years ago, and 15 years ago, and 20 years ago, uh, this is what you'll find. At the moments of my life that I made the poorest, most destructive decisions for me and my family, I had no one in my life pointing me towards love and good deeds. That was my fault. I pushed those people away. But in the moments where I made the most poorest decisions in my life, I had pushed away every single person that would have pointed me towards love and to good deeds. In fact, in those days leading up to those moments, I would say that I had believed the myth that I could keep my relationship with God private between me and myself, but I would edge every other person out. And what I did not realize in my own life was happening is I was slowly drifting away. And before you knew it, I was far away from anyone who would point me towards love and good deeds, and I was far enough away from God because I had edged him out. Now, conversely, what I would tell you is this. At the moments of my life where I've made the best, most healthiest decisions in my life, what you will see is I was surrounded by an amazing group of people who were encouraging me toward love and good deeds. 
And in the process, I didn't want to be normal anymore because normal, what I had been accustomed to, led me to being tired and defeated. Normal led me to poor decisions. Normal led to prison. Normal led to debt. Normal led to being alone, to fighting battles alone, to where hope was gone. And greater led to victory. Greater led to freedom. Greater led to life-giving relationships. Greater led to Hope greater led to a, a community of people who would love me and encourage me towards love and good deeds. And what's up happening is this greater led to Jesus. Jesus did not die on the cross for us to experience normal. This is one of the reasons I fell in love with my wife, is because she encouraged me to love and to good deeds. And when I would come to her frustrated with something, she didn't let me double down in my own defeat. She didn't let me double down in my own bitterness. She encouraged me to love and to forgiveness, to good deeds. So husbands, wives in the room, those that were watching online, boy, I would urge you to make the commitment that you're going to push your spouse in the direction of love and good deeds. Parents, I'm going to ask you to consider how you can spur your kids toward love and good deeds. Church family, this is where the rubber meets the road. Who in your life do you need to urge to love and to good deeds? He said, let us draw near. Let us hold on to hope. Let us encourage one another. And then fourthly, let us not neglect gathering with one another. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you read this verse verse just on on its own without the context of Hebrews chapter, or the whole book of Hebrews, it could appear that the writer of Hebrews says, you ought to be in church on Sunday morning. And that's, that's the point. Like, you should be in church. And yet I want to I ask you to consider that this is simply not about Sunday morning service. I want you to think about the audience. These are persecuted Hebrew Christian Jews. They did not have the opportunity to go to the first Christian church of Jerusalem without being persecuted. They didn't have the opportunity to gather and to worship freely and to check in on Facebook so that everyone in their friend circle would know where they were worshiping. They didn't have the opportunity to do so with freedom. This is a group of persecuted Hebrew Christians that were cast out of their homes. They were cast out of their businesses. Their families were divided. They lived in caves. Uh, Some of them died for their faith. And so the writer of Hebrews tells this group of people, don't give up meeting together as the habit of some is, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This was a group of people that were probably meeting in caves or meeting in each other's homes, probably daily to encourage one another, to do life together, to support one another. They were embracing the unity that community provided in an extremely difficult situation. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this, in the midst of the difficulty, don't neglect the people that would form community in your life. 
in the midst of the very difficult moments that you were in, do not neglect community. Do not neglect gathering with other believers. We've had quite a 2020, haven't we? Oh, man. I want to say this. If you're watching this service online due to health reasons, I'm so glad that through the generosity of God's people, we're able to stream our services for you. Um, And if you're part of the vulnerable population that could be at risk of what we do or don't know about the pandemic, um, I'm so glad you get to worship with us digitally. Let me encourage you, if you're at home today, to figure out what it means to connect with other believers. Um, If you're at home today and you're watching this, Because it's convenient, let me ask you to pursue something greater. If you're watching this online simply because it's convenient, boy, God has greater in store for you. And gathering was not convenient for these early persecuted Hebrew Christians, but the writer of Hebrews said, man, I know it's difficult and I know it's hard, but the message of the book of Hebrews is this, don't give up, don't don't neglect loving one another, don't neglect gathering, don't neglect this just because it's not convenient right now, because God has designed you for community and to gather to worship. How do you know if you've embraced normal? Um, if you look at these four commands, how do you know if you've embraced normal? Well, the first command is what? Help me out in the building. Who's, what's the first command? Let us draw near. I would say this. You've embraced normal if you're missing an intimacy with God. You've embraced normal if, if you're not as close to God as you feel like you should be. Uh, The second command is this, let us hold unswervingly to our hope. You have embraced normal if your hope is in things or results instead of Jesus. It says the third command, let us encourage one another. You have embraced normal if you feel alone at this moment. If If you've pushed away people, if you've put up walls instead of reaching out, if, if that's you, then let me encourage you to encourage one another. Fourthly, let us not neglect gathering. Boy, you have embraced normal if you've begun to drift. And so there's some questions I want to ask you as we reflect, as we respond. Number one, how is your heart this morning? Is it sincere? Is it full of faith as the writer of Hebrews described? Boy, is Jesus your hope, period? Or are you putting conditions on Jesus? Are you, like I have been, you put conditions on Jesus that you'll put your hope and faith in Him as long as He fill in the blank? Or is Jesus your hope secure and firm and anchor for your soul? Then I would say this, how are the others in your life? Do you have people around you that encourage you towards love and towards good deeds? Are you gathering with others to the, to the best ability to worship? I want to share uh, three verses from Romans, and we'll be done this morning with the message, and we'll enter a period of worship. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Well, isn't that a how do you do? 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, Paul says. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, through though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What the writer of Hebrews was asking these persecuted Hebrew Christian Jews to consider, and what he's asking us to consider is this, your faith is not just you alone, your faith is part of a body of believers, and we all belong to one another. So church, let's give normal a funeral today. Let's hold a service for normal. Let's let it die. Let's pursue something greater. Let's pursue something greater that outlives our own lives. Let's draw near with sincere hearts, pouring our hearts before God with assurance of full faith. Let's draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Let's not put conditions on God and and why we would put our hope on Him, but let's hold on to the hope that is secure, firm as an anchor for our soul. Let's encourage one another toward love and toward good deeds. Let's not neglect gathering with one another. Let's do what he has called us to do, which is this, greater than normal. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Boy, if you're at home right now and you're watching online, I'd encourage you to take a moment to pray as well. The reason we bow for prayer in a setting like this is just to give everyone a little bit of privacy. I'm going to ask our worship team to make their way towards the platform. In just a few moments, they're going to help us worship with two really beautiful songs that help center our heart on how amazing His love is for us. But just for right now, we're going we're gonna to give normal a funeral right now. And so as you're bowed for prayer, if you've never placed your trust in God and started a personal relationship with God, Normal is trusting yourself with your life. Normal is trusting yourself for salvation. Greater is putting your trust in Christ in Him alone, period. Jesus said, Very truly I said to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind whereby we must be saved. So God made him to be sin for us. Him who had no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and you're justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Boy, if you've never placed your trust in Christ and Christ alone, we encourage you to do that today. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together, and it's our opportunity to celebrate celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And perhaps for you today, you can identify with Christ by taking communion with us then. Maybe today is the first time you would receive communion as a follower of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to make that decision. If you're sitting in the room today with our heads bowed, I'd encourage you during the next two songs maybe, if this is where you are and you need to come to Christ, on the green connect card, there's a spot that says, I want to talk to someone more about what it means to have a relationship with God. If you're watching online, I'd encourage you to message us. We'd be honored to show you from the Bible what that means. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, again, let's give normal a funeral. Let's determine that we will draw near to God. Let's determine today that we will hold on to a hope in Him and Him alone. Let's encourage one another today towards love and to good deeds. And let's not neglect gathering and worshiping. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this service. And Father, as we, as we seek to make commitments in our life that would put an end to normal, we pray for your Holy Spirit's power to, to live a life that's greater. To live a life in pursuit of something that will outlast our own lives. Father, help us to be faithful in these areas you've called us to do. Father, help us as we draw near with sincere hearts. Father, help us, help me, Lord, to hold on to hope. Help us to encourage people to love and to good deeds. Father, and let us embrace gathering together and worshiping. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.